The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy, policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The, the views, views and, opinions and opinions of this show, of this show do, do not constitute not. recommendations for therapy. Please contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or names. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we belong. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science Season 7, episode number 165. It is so good to be back on air. I'm Matt Hott, a speech and language pathologist located in Ohio, working uh, in a middle school and with adults for stroke and dementia. Proud and happy to be joined at the top of my screen, Marie Severson. She is a adult medical SLP out of Wisconsin. Hey there, I'm back. Hello, it's been so long since we did this and we got to get the introductions <laughs> back underway. That voice you hear laughing is our PTSD SLP herself. Rachel Archambault, walk, walk, wow, I almost mispronounced working out of Florida, Rachel. Hi, everyone. I'm happy to be back. Hello. And then I do know where Michelle is. She is in Texas, our pediatric SLP, Michelle. Hello, back. Matt. And hello, Marie and Rachel. <laughs> oh, my goodness, guys. We have been off the air since episode number 164, which ended season six this is season seven this is our seventh year on air uh, i am so excited by it we all had wonderful or at least eventful summers um around the horn uh i think rachel you should start us off because you probably traveled the farthest among the four of us and the most recent and most recent recent traveler yeah i just got back a few days ago and currently fighting jet lag right now <laughs> i uh got home from italy well i actually flew into dallas um and then to florida but i was in italy for 10 days and uh it was beautiful the weather was amazing and i'm so so happy i went and now i feel like i need a vacation for my vacation <laughs> <laughs> How many hours is Italy ahead or behind us on the East Coast? It's six hours ahead, and okay. the flight back was around 11 hours. Ooh. Yeah. That's rough. Besides that, was there anything else exciting, or does Italy pretty much cap off uh, your wonderful summer? I had four bachelorette parties two in Scottsdale. <laughs> so I did back to back weekends in Scottsdale. Um, I had a flasha I presented at in July mm -hmm. and that presentation went in, like amazing. The, I can't say enough about it. That was uh, incredible. Um, and then ended the bachelorette tour in St. Pete. So <laughs> I'm done forever <laughs> letting you all know. 
That sounds wonderful. What did you present on at Flasha? Um, so I explained trauma-informed care across all speech settings because one of the reasons that people say they don't attend my sessions at Flasha is because they think it's a school-based issue. Mm. And I wanted to put in the title that this is for everyone. And I actually used TikTok videos um, for almost half of my presentation to show trauma-informed examples across all speech settings. And it was great. Wonderful. So valuable. Thank you. Michelle, Marie, who would like to try to follow up? <laughs> go for it, Marie. Rachel's <laughs> wonderful summer. Rachel, okay. did you did you go somewhere? What? No, wait, why did I say Rachel? Marie, uh, did, did you go somewhere? She did go somewhere. Rachel went to Italy. We it know. took me too long to figure out that that was just a, a mis it was misspeak. Just, sorry, it Matt. was just an aphasic moment. I'm so oh. sorry, guys. Okay, well, I'll start with my wah-wah, which is that I got COVID this summer. Wah-wah. And... It was, it wasn't as mild as I had hoped. So I was pretty bummed, but that's okay. Cause I'm better now. Um, and then I also went on a bachelorette party. This one was to California. It was very fun. And then, um, I think the most impactful thing I did was that I went full time in my private practice Whoa. about a month ago. Yeah. Congratulations. That's, that's awesome. Thanks. Busy and what was um I have to ask, what was the final like your final push to do that? Um, I think it was it just kind of felt like the right time. There was it just seemed like I was gonna have enough of a caseload and I was feeling it just I don't know how else to describe it besides it just felt right, if that makes sense. Like that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it was the right fantastic. time. Yeah. Michelle. What about you, Michelle? Um, I didn't have any international travels, um, but <laughs> I, I did get to go visit family in Ohio for a couple of weeks in August. Um, and so my kids got some really great cousin and aunt and uncle and grandparent time. And, um, I got to see friends from high school and college and just life when I was in Ohio before I moved to Colorado. So, um, that was my kind of big travel. It's funny when you live, when you move further away from where like you grew up, my vacations end up being back to, um, back to my hometown area. But, um, but I really do look forward to those. So that was my travel excitement. Um, on my end, I officially own a private practice now. So that's official. Thanks friends. (laughs) And, um, yeah, that's, uh, kind of the big news work-wise here. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. If this was a friends episode, this would be the one titled, and then they got a private practice. That's well, right. <laughs> yeah, Marie's is a full-time private practice. Mine is not. <laughs> Mine started with just one client after work. There you go. See, Michelle, how long did it take you to do that, Marie? To go from one client to, to full-time? To full-time. Mm, two years. But... See, Marie, or see, Michelle, you got two yeah. years. It, but it was sort of slow on purpose. So you can, mm-hmm. you can make it whatever you need it to be. I think that's awesome yeah. for me, my summer. I don't remember if we recorded an episode after or before I went to Disney world, but I went to Disney world and then a bunch of boy scout cub scout trips with the kids. And then I got to be daddy single daycare for nine days while my wife went to Paris and I got to bond with the kids. So that was fun. 
And yay for your wife going in and actually to Paris. That's fantastic. So I was like living vicariously at the same time through Rachel and my wife as they both posted photos because they were in the same part (laughs) of Europe at the same time. So like my wife was like, here's a photo from Paris. And then Rachel's like, here's a photo in Italy. And I was like, and here's my living room with my children. So you'll go next time, right, Matt? (laughs) All, yeah, I'll go next time. Also, I think long. I might have accidentally been looped back into becoming an Asha seal somehow. Oh, how did that fall into your lap? The other person had to step down in Ohio. So I'm the person that can't say no. Mm. That is what happens. Yeah. yeah. Good for you, though. That's an important role. I don't know. You'll be great I'm, at it. I don't know if I'm going to take it yet. You know, I got this podcast I do, and then I have mm-hmm. like a bowling coach, three children, 5,000 jobs, and you people to take care of. And us people. You do have to manage us. I agree uh, with that. Oh, <laughs> man. I'm excited for today's show. So getting back on air, Marie, we will go over your interview in a moment that we've got. We're going to finally air to kick off season seven. Michelle, we're going to be pulling a name for the winner of the You Got This Sis book giveaway, our summer giveaway, mm-hmm. I should say. Also, we're going to deep dive into the Discord uh, that has been posting questions for us to kind of dive into uh, during the summer. I'm looking forward to it. Yay. Got to get through the backlog. <laughs> Marie, before we jump into the Discord, and Michelle, before we jump into, ooh, there goes my voice. I'm a speech therapist. I can admit that. Into uh, the winner, Marie, who are we running on air this week? What is your big old first interview on the airwaves of the SS Pod? I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing. Elizabeth Lipton Daly, who's the co-founder and executive VP of E2 Scientific, which is the company that put out the tongueometer, which is a tongue strengthening biofeedback device. And the co-founder, Ed Steger and president was also a wonderful interviewee. It was a very interesting interview in general, just to learn about an interesting high-tech product for dysphagia rehab. That's so cool. I'm excited to hear about this because I have I know you've mentioned it before and I've heard just murmurings about the device and don't know anything much about it at all. Marie, I was just I, using it the other day. It's, are you really? Yeah, it's great. Well, I'm excited for you not to waste your shot as your first interview on speech science. I see what you did there. See, did you like that transition? Yeah. Matt is segueing into allowing me to share that I saw Hamilton over the summer and I forgot to share that. It was <laughs> for the first time. I do this thing where I sometimes I won't participate in some type of cultural phenomenon for a really long time. And then I'll get sad when no one wants to talk about it because it's been several years. But anyways, I can't get it out of my head. It's been like two months and I can't stop singing the song. So if anyone knows how to fix that send me a message <laughs> don't fix it that music's worth listening to <laughs> the most interesting thing i found about hamilton was in an interview with lin-manuel miranda or whatever miranda mm-hmm. you got uh, it. about a month and a half or two months ago and he was talking about when he wrote the show he never could understand why aaron burr was the way he was and he really identified with hamilton which is why he wrote himself as hamilton but now that he is who he is he understands Aaron Burr and he would love to go back onto Broadway to play 
Burr because now he gets hmm. the not wanting to lose everything and you have stuff to give up. And, and it's super interesting. I think I, I love the theater mind behind that and, and trying to take yourself and projecting it on stage. So. Absolutely. Mm. This is a Hamilton podcast now. Yep. It is now yeah. SS pod can, meets Hamilton. Can we talk about it some more? <laughs> Someday I will see it live. That's a goal of mine. <laughs> Michelle, you get to pick the person who is in the room when it happens, when they get to, I tried, Rachel, oh, don't shake your head. You made it sound I like tried. we were giving away Hamilton tickets. We are not, <laughs> but we are giving away, sis, you got this. What else is part of that big sis, you got this summer giveaway? Well, if you remember the interview with Barbara Fernandez after her, we actually interviewed her right before her book came out, um, which is called Sis, You Got This from Surviving to Thriving um, as a Minority SLP. And um, even if you only read a section of that book, I think it is absolutely worth your time to, to take a look at it. And then also, so she's going to be sending a copy of that book and then also access to her speech and a language speech and language Academy online resources. So she's developed speech apps over the years and also has this whole platform of, of speech language resources that you can access. So it's a pretty cool giveaway. All right. So here's how we're going to live pick names on or pick the name on air. There are three, three of you so each of you are going to pick a number that matches up with one of our uh people that signed up so michelle since you orchestrated this whole thing you get to go first pick a number between zero and 24. 17. all right rachel you get zero to 60. 22. and marie you get zero to 60 as well four so what I did was I didn't look at the date they signed up on. I looked up at the timestamp that they signed up on, and that would go to Miss Shannon Fisher. Congratulations, Shannon. Woo! Hey, Shannon. Congrats, Shannon. Awesome. And your contact info is in there, right, Matt? So we can... Uh, uh... Yep, Shannon, we have your email. We will not read it out on air, but we will send an email to uh, Barbara Fernandez and then CC you to it as well so that uh, you guys can all coordinate the awesomeness that is the sis you got this summer giveaway. Awesome. Right. So let's jump into a couple of our fun parts of our show and some of our down parts of our show. The fun part is the SS pod shout out. Who wants to describe the SS pod shout out? I'll do it. It is an opportunity. <laughs> you throw it to three of us. None of us know who to talk to. You guys <laughs> all just shook your heads and was like, nope. The SS Pod Showdown is an opportunity to shine a light, a spotlight on someone that is doing something awesome in or around the field of speech and language therapy or is an SLP or doing something to promote our field. Uh, this week, it goes to... Dr. Julie Washington. She was appointed to the American Reading Company's Academic Advisory Board. Uh, she is also a cultural dialect expert. So congratulations to Dr. Julie Washington. She is also a fellow of the uh, of ASHA and is also a professor in the School of Education at the University of California, Irvine. So congrats, Dr. Washington. Congratulations. All right. On the flip yeah. side, it's the SS pod due process. So this is where we are going to clean out the attic. That is the discord and the emails. 
And a couple of them are just kind of information that we got to get out there. And I want to hear your guys' reaction to it. Uh, this first one comes uh, via email uh, from Susan. And she is an SLP in Ohio. Name changed on purpose on this one. Uh, wants to know if she leaves a contract early for a school system, can the school districts hold her license until the end of the year? And I found out the answer is yes. Wow. In what, Ohio, you, at least. What does that mean, holds their license? So in Ohio, means, oh, sorry, sorry, Michelle, go, go for it. I think the simple meaning is that you can't go work in a school mm -hmm. for that school year. So in Ohio, we take have a to job hold, somewhere else, but not in a school. We mm -hmm. hold our SLP license and a pupil services license or a pupil license. And if you leave the school outside of the the time frame that is allowed, which is usually until like June 18th or July 1st, depending on the school district, uh, it is in the Ohio law that they can hold the license uh, for any amount of time the school district would like. Now they can uh, go to the board to request being voted on to be allowed out early, but if they terminate the contract on their own, the school board can choose to hold it for up to the end of the school year. Wow. That's, is it like rough. that in Florida? Rachel, you're, you're, you gave me that look. So is that like, it doesn't work that way in Florida? Not at all. And Ooh. if it were, I think that my district specifically would have less vacancies than they do because mm. we're dealing with significant turnover. It's a, it's a revolving door and it's they, maybe it's one day that they work and they're like, you know what? It's not working for me. I'm done. They leave. Um, I think by having that law, it would help reduce some of that turnover um, and prevent people from, from, Thing. but at the same time like there are life circumstances that i'm sure the board would be like oh yeah you have to move due to this or whatever like i i don't like that rule at all yeah i mean i don't like it either but i do think it is the school's equivalent of a non-compete and i've i've seen mm -hmm. those in hospitals i've seen those from clinics before um you know when i went to sign one when i was going to go work at a privately owned clinic in West Texas, I specifically had them remove the part about, um, you know, I, I basically signed I wouldn't be taking patients from the clinic, but take out the part that I would not see patients otherwise because I was working on a second job, you know? Right. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, I've heard of, and we're not medical doctors, I know that, but for doctors, they'll have like a, as the bird flies, as the crow flies we radius that, that they can't. Too. Um, that they can't work if they leave a certain, within so long of leaving a certain job, which is crazy, but it's, it's real. So, I mean, it, it's a read the fine print when you're taking a job. I know in Colorado in the schools, I was an at-will employee, which sounds like what Florida is from what you said, Rachel, that mm -hmm. I could leave or they could terminate me. And that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I, di I didn't know that about Ohio, Matt. Yeah, it mm. says if a teacher terminates a contract in any manner other than the uh, as provided for you above before July 10th, the employing school board may file a complaint with the State Board of Education. After an investigation, the license of the teacher who terminated their contract and in Ohio, SLPs are under con teacher licensure. A lot uh, of states are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the license of the teacher who terminated their contract may be su suspended for not more than one year. Mm -hmm. And so to clarify for anybody who isn't or hasn't worked in the schools, 
most of the time you have to have an educational license as well that you put in for. So you might have your state license, like in Colorado, I had to have the medical one and then a school one, right? If I worked Mm -hmm. in a medical setting of any kind and then uh, was would be covered under my regular SLP state license for the state of Colorado. But then I had to, with the board of education, apply and get a, a, a t- I'm putting it in quotes, a teacher's license, but it's a SLP credential to work in the schools. And so that's what they're holding. They're not holding your ASHA mm-hmm. or your regular state licensure to be an SLP. Um, it's just saying that you cannot work in another school for that period. In that state. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like an overreach. No non-compete would ever be as broad as statewide. But Mm -hmm. I could see it though. Like we talk about like Rachel, you said your school district may have, or or the school districts, you know, may avoid having so many openings. It keeps an SLP from leaving Cincinnati to go to another school district in Cincinnati or Columbus for more money. It would, but didn't you do that? Like, didn't you? Why would you want to keep people in their positions when they don't want to be there? at the end of the school I get it it's just like because then uh, it's like patient abandonment I right and I get just I'm people (laughs) like to threaten that that's what that is when it's really somebody exercising their right to leave a potentially toxic work environment they like to say that yes Marie that's yes and if, if have any of you looked into it because I read it having to leave a job that was like major issues going on, right? I know you've spoken about yeah. it before. And I mean, I'll say more. that, but it's the, if you look at our code of ethics, just so you all know who are listening, mm-hmm. because I did read it, that it does not give, and Asha was very explicit about this when I spoke to people from there, it does not give an exact time frame. So if somebody tries to tell you it's patient abandonment, if you don't stay for another month or two months right. or whatever, that's not according to our code of ethics true for us. We're not mm. under like the doctor code of ethics. It That's says important. that we should make every effort to plan for the continuation of care for our patients. And that can look like that is up to interpretation for you mm-hmm. as a certified SLP with your C's to determine what that means. Um, and it also makes clear that if you're in a dangerous or unsafe situation, mm-hmm. that does not apply. Mm. But I would also go with that if you're looking to leave a school district and you talk to your supervisor and then they threaten to to hold your license, then it's probably a bad place to be working at in the right in itself. (laughs) Like, like, I also wonder, though, I'm sorry. People aren't upfront about that though. Like mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many places I've worked that go in an interview and say, we're a family here. We're a mm-hmm. family here. And that is such a red flag for me mm-hmm. of just, if someone says that, like they hold you to unrealistic expectations, it's an unhealthy work environment. And then they're the first ones to say, well, I'm holding your license. So you can't leave. Like, so it's, I really don't like that rule. Um, but I guess it's one it, reason I'm happy to be in Florida. <laughs> but like, but on the other side though, I, I see how, like why that would have to be. Because if I sign with school district A in September, but school district B then offers me $20,000 more mm-hmm. September 4th, after I've already signed with that school district and they've terminated their times with the other SLP candidates, I... I don't know. It's tough. I get it. It's hard because, but in education and medical, I feel like are held to this standard because in how many other fields do not at all, but (laughs) on the flip side, people 
you leave how, a job and they take another yeah. job for 20,000. I mean, if you're getting 20,000 more dollars right. a year, <laughs> but uh, in another school district, I mean, I don't know. Then I would, I flip it on the other side. And if one of my kids teachers left in November because they got a better job offer in another school, mm-hmm. I'd be perturbed. Really? I would be I, supportive. I would I'd, be perturbed. I'd be perturbed, but I'd also be like, if they made that decision for their family yeah. or for whatever it is, then I can't blame them for that. No, but I would be mad because if you if my kid has spent enough time trying to get to know this teacher's learning style and succeeding or failing in their class, and then in November they leave, I, I don't know. Yeah, just- I think what we're doing is we're asking individuals to be responsible mm-hmm. for a systemic issue. Exactly. We're saying, oh, yeah, no, you paid enough money, so 100%. you have to stay here because the children are hurting. And really, yeah. the school district should be at a competitive wage and providing a good work environment or people wouldn't leave. And sometimes people will leave, but that's going to be the exception versus mm-hmm. the rule. I was just having this conversation with my uh, with a close family friend about getting pay raises. And they were saying that, people in the office were mad that everyone got the same pay raise. And I was like, yeah, cause your company did that on purpose so that you would be mad at everyone getting the same pay raise and no one getting a cost of living raise to the 8% of inflation. And they were like, Oh my God, you're right. And I was like, right. Spread the, spread the word. <laughs> Fighting the power. All right. The second part or not the second part, another clear out. This one is from the discord. Uh, they go into specifics about the self P2 and using it as an expired test. But I kind of wanted to use that as a jumping off point. When do we get rid of old tests? And then when is it our responsibility to report someone using an old test? And I'm actually interested more from the private practice side, because I know in schools, like there is a, a tendency here in Ohio to make sure we're not using out of date tests. But like, how do you all see it? Matt, is that because the norms are updated more often for tests with children? Because I'm not aware of that being a big issue in terms of anything other than content, like a test having maybe a questionable item or I, I just mean, being just, outdated. The reason I feel like at least here in Ohio, tests are more recycled through when they get outdated is because when a parent wants to take a school district to due process, and it is shown that they use the test that is outdated, it mm-hmm. automatically gives more power to the family taking the school district to due process for whatever reason. Yeah, like what component is outdated that would affect the test results? I, I think if there's a more updated test, so like say you have an SLP using the self four when the self five came out a few years ago, like I think that there's something in the self five manual that says like you have with within a year of mm-hmm. the self five coming out that you need to discard of the previous one. Um, I, I'm not sure where that is written though, if if that's you know I think yeah, it's but on the why? website. Well, I feel like that benefits the publisher at the very end. Yeah, 100% yeah. it does. Yeah. Well, what was it? The Goldman Fristo 3? Just what discard the $500 test that you right. bought two years <laughs> you ago. You can't use this Because we made anymore. a new one. But I, like, I, know I get it, that sometimes the pictures look better and like, mm-hmm. unless there's like an egregious problem or the norms have been changed. I just the, don't know. They do update the norms. I mean, they re-norm those tests when they make the new ones. Okay. At least like the self I know and the PLS. Um, Thank you. I wasn't sure so I, I think that that is, you know, the science behind it, I guess, yeah. but, um, the science behind the sales team. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I don't, I struggle with that a lot because of the expensive tests, but also, mm-hmm. um, access to them. Like, I yep. mean, cause it's, yeah. I'm not always the person buying them when I'm working in a school or a clinic. So I'm using what's available to me and how am I supposed to keep track of every single test and which one has a new version out? Mm. Yeah. Whose responsibility is that? I don't know. Right. In my district, it's our team. The whole team. What team? Which team? The the SLPs. Like, we just look at, we basically say, hey, whatever tests you have in your room, can you look to see if a new one has come out? Hmm. And we just do that in the spring. So then that way, if there is a new one, we can tell our school district that we either have to stop using this across the district or order new versions of it. And well, then I'm it, also frustrated, but I'm cutting you off. I'm sorry, no, Matt, you're fine. but like, Cut me the, off. Um, what, what was the test that was talked about in the discord? Uh, it was the self P2. Okay. So that's the preschool one, right? Mm-hmm. And they're still selling the, the previous one, the mm-hmm. companies are right. So when, how does that work? <laughs> if they're still selling the previous version, why is it that we have to get the new version? And you're selling me the previous version, just so you can tell me in a year, I have to only use the newer version. Yeah. Are, are pediatric tests just updated more? I've, there's never, there's like not, there's not an R bands five. Like there aren't like five versions of any adult test that there's I can like think two of. That I yeah. can think, you know, there might be a one and then a two because they I made bought, it 50 years ago. <laughs> I bought the click it, the cognitive linguistic quick yeah. test. And it was like made 15 years ago. And I was yeah. so worried that a new one's coming out and they're like, nah. Well, they have good. the CLQT plus and that one just has an aphasia version you can oh, give. But oh, yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's the know, one I bought actually sort of. Yeah. Oh yeah. So then you're good. Yeah. You're yeah. updated. Now being if if you are uh private practice, right, Marie, I think there's a mm-hmm. distinction. Am I right on this that there would be a distinction between if you're um billing insurance or doing strictly private pay because you don't mm-hmm. have to have the same standardized score to prove that um need or deficit with someone if they're yeah. private pay, right? That's fair to say. Yeah. And really it's just for Medicare for sure. If you're billing the cognitive evaluation code, you have to have a standardized assessment, but there are lots of different options mm-hmm. that they offer for that. And then potentially some commercial insurance companies, they would want you to use a standardized assessment. But I think standardized might be used a little bit more loosely than I would think of it. Like it might not have to be a lengthy, like big R bands or CLQT or um, okay. favors. It, it could maybe be something else that still qualifies as that, but it's, it's standardized or formal because it's been mm-hmm. like, it's been, mm-hmm. it's been studied and mm-hmm. sort of like norms. So that might count. Okay. But I wouldn't use it for that purpose, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I would never call out another SLP for using an older test, but also that's because I don't have the time or energy to look up the test they use to see when it expires. I think the only thing mm-hmm. that would catch my eye is if I'm if I use the same test and the one they use is more than the last version. Mm. Like I use the self five all the time. If I got a report that said, according to the self two, I'd be like, right. Yeah, this is garbage. We can't use this. Right. Yeah. At that and I I guess my 
not so much calling them out, but if they were on my same team and I knew we had a budget for new tests oh, yeah. and things, then I'd be like, Hey, we got to tell them we should order this. I know there's a three, like a gift of three out there. So we should get that. Stop using uh, the old one, Tammy. <laughs> I understand you like the picture of the phone. Come on. No, no one. No. All right. <laughs> the third part of our due process summer cleanup. Uh, we originally discussed this on the lost episode of Speech Science. Uh, Vanessa Garcia wrote in and said that uh, back in May, we had mentioned disabilityscoop.com and she wanted to uh, share her gratitude uh, concerning our work for the promotion of disabled people's rights. However, uh, wanted to share that on government websites around the world, 96% exclude disabled men and women from showing up on websites. I believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Uh, I mean, I do think there's a, a slow shift Mm-hmm. that you're seeing more and more of that form of diversity mm-hmm. in in publications but um but it's slow yeah. yeah on on the national like global government websites uh they they looked at only uh they looked at 500 government websites from around the globe and they counted only photos not located on uh, health or wellness related pages and mm-hmm. they found that only 4% of all the photos on non-health and wellness-related pages were folks with a disability. Wow. So. Compared to what percentage of people of the general population? That 90, 96%. Oh, of people. I'm sorry. What do you mean? So how many people of the general population? This is just a quiz. I Do you know it? No, I'm just kidding. But um, which how many people, what percentage of people from the general population identify as having a disability? So I don't know. It's a good question. And it's 20, interesting. I mean, if you think of a government 26. website, I think of already 26%. In the U.S., it says one in four. Okay. Um, I don't remember where I was going. I am that. so sorry. I cut no, you it's off. Okay. I apologize. No, it's okay. Um, I was saying something about about government websites. Like I can imagine going on there and they've got a stock photo from 1982. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't think that they're the most up to date, but I am very impressed by, um, I think Aerie is a brand, um, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a clothing brand that has like colostomy bags that mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. Um, on the models that are actual people with colostomy bags modeling a bathing suit and i hope i got the brand right um but i've been very impressed by certain fashion brands that are using it in in appropriate ways um they're they're committed to not like um photoshopping mm-hmm. well i know no, airy you mentioned mm-hmm. several years back they were one of the first to openly come out because that's american eagle it's a line of their mm-hmm. american eagle clothes but to come out and say we've stopped all photoshopping like of our of our models but that was yes. years ago so mm-hmm. i i didn't know they were also adding in more um like you said the colonoscopy bags and st- bags and such mm-hmm. i mean that's that's neat i have seen photos in some either magazines or ads now with the diabetic what do you call it the uh amputee oh, oh the pumps yes yeah oh the oh yeah 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 I saw the motion here and i'm like amputee yep. um because that was one thing that i actually have seen that in some of these as well, you you have amputees that have 
uh, like the bionic legs or, or mm -hmm. anything like that. And I, I've been really impressed by that. It doesn't surprise me that government websites are not as up to date as the trend is is now in fashion, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was just doing a quick Google dive, uh, Google uh, search on just cochlear implants and advertising because mm -hmm. my daughter's cochlear just kind of interested. And uh, evidently the first national cochlear television ad ran this uh, this past January. Wow. I was like, huh, I didn't, I thought more people knew about it, but I guess not. And then a bunch of stuff of people being mad that ads fo uh, photoshopped the cochlear implant out. So nice. Also, oh, wow. yeah. also, there's that. Absolutely. So. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. <sighs> hey, if you have information that you want us to know about, head over to our Discord, head over to our Facebook, or email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Coming up on the other side of the break, we are still friends with Dr. Meredith Harold, so we are still uh, getting some wonderful audio input from the informed SLP. And then also, Marie, what is going on with the tongueometer? Well, we will be doing an interview about the tongueometer with Elizabeth Lipton Daly and Ed Steger. It's a good one. Stay tuned. You're listening to Speech Science. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. Let's talk about gender SLP. This is a review of two articles, including a scoping review of the role of gender within speech-language pathology practice and feminist research in a female-dominated profession. How can this lens help us to understand ourselves better in speech-language pathology? Both from the International Journal of Speech-Language Pathology. If you've ever been to an SLP conference or workshop, you might have noticed something weird about the bathrooms, specifically the cues for the bathrooms. More specifically, the cues for the women's bathrooms. Women's bathroom cues are famously longer than men's bathroom cues, but this is on a ridiculous scale. Which is to say, if you haven't noticed that there's a gender imbalance in SLP, around 94% women with minor international variation, you haven't been paying attention. We were aware of some past research about gender and SLPs, like this paper about how gender bias affects faculty promotions in our field, and of course, more informal discussions, like those that occurred after the publication of this other paper on vocal fry. But recently, the International Journal of Speech-Language Pathology published two very different articles that zoomed in on gender and SLP, and we thought, at last. First, Skeet et al. use a feminist lens to consider, quote, the social, cultural, political, and economic reasons that a gender disparity in SLP might exist, how it is perpetuated, and who benefits from it, end quote. This article includes some fascinating examples of the ways gender affects not just SLPs, but our clients, too. 
Did you know men who are hard of hearing are more likely to use invisible coping strategies? Or that women with TBI sacrifice adherence to medical advice, such as rest, to maintain their gendered roles, such as as caregivers? Did you know that Professor Pam Enderby spent 11 years fighting for pay equity between SLP and male-dominated health professions in the UK? What a legend. This is a theoretical paper, but it provides a call to action for SLP researchers to, quote, expose, challenge, and act on inequalities, end quote. For clinicians, the message is more subtle. Consider how our clients may experience their disability differently based on their gender alongside other characteristics, see intersectionality, and think about, quote, the story that our profession tells about ourselves, end quote, how we want it to change and what we can do to create that change. It's good to hold these ideas in mind as we delve into Lindsay and Cohn's review of 20 articles on the role of gender in speech pathology. We do need to note that this paper took a very binary view of gender and did not include significant discussion or reporting on genderqueer SLPs. Also, the findings in this paper were really varied, so we pulled out a couple of points here, but if you're interested, there's a lot more content in the full text. Many of these ideas and findings may accord with things you already know about our profession. Some studies propose that the gender imbalance in SLP may be because our profession is associated with stereotypical feminine activities like communicating, caring, and nurturing, i.e. women's work, because men are perceived as potentially threatening to children and because, maybe as a result, boys and men don't have a high awareness as SLP as a career choice. Unsurprisingly, in this context, male SLPs seem less likely to work with children than female SLPs and are more likely to pursue, for example, a career in adult neurology. Some papers also reported on how male SLPs feel about their gender in a professional context. And while some men feel conspicuous, isolated, and limited by gender stereotypes, others find being a man in a female-dominated profession empowering. Some research suggested that male SLPs were more focused on salary and career advancement as critical to their job satisfaction than women SLPs. Sounds to me like we need to do some work challenging gender stereotypes that say that caring, nurturing, and communicating are women's work, unsuited to men, and to elevating the entire profession via better pay and career advancement opportunities. Lindsay and Cohn also call for more recruitment and retention of men SLPs through mentoring and marketing to boys and men. For the clinical SLP, there's plenty of food for thought here, but it's hard to know exactly what to do with this information. What actions can we take? Well, here were some thoughts that occurred to me as I read these papers. First, many boys and young men learn to think of themselves as inherently unsuited to communicating, caring, and nurturing. I work with boys and young men. Am I giving them enough role models of other boys and men who are communicators, carers, and nurturers? For example, by including clinical resources and books that include diverse representations of gender. Do I consciously encourage and reward kindness and gentleness in boys, as well as courage and confidence? Do I give boys dolls and flowers to play with, as well as trucks and blocks? Secondly, male students and junior SLPs are steered away from pediatric positions out of inherent bias and fear. If I supervise students or CFs, what assumptions do I make about them based on gender? Do I give students and junior SLPs of all genders balanced opportunities with diverse caseloads? 
And thirdly, people who value pay and career structure are rejecting our field or being promoted out of clinical roles. Can I advocate for better pay and better career structure for myself and my colleagues where it's needed? How can I support my colleagues in their advocacy efforts? There are a million tiny ways that gender bias shows up every day in every aspect of our lives. Our work is no exception. There is more we can consider and do within our field to address gender-based disparities, and we look forward to more research in this space. Together, we can combat the conference bathroom queue. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice, or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. Welcome to another edition of the Speech Science Podcast interview series, where I am joined by special guests, Elizabeth Lipton Daly and Ed Steger, who are here to share their knowledge on the biofeedback device they co-developed called the Tongometer. The Tongometer is an affordable at-home device designed to measure and increase tongue strength and endurance for individuals with dysphagia. Elizabeth, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Marie. Thanks for inviting us to be on your podcast. I'm Elizabeth. I'm a speech-language pathologist here in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I graduated from UW-Madison in 2014 and have been practicing in the acute care and inpatient rehab settings since that time. Um, Currently, I'm the executive vice president of E2 Scientific and the co-founder here with Ed of the Tongometer device, and we're excited to share a little bit more about that with you today. Um, Outside of my role with E2 Scientific, I'm also the executive director of the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, um, which is a nonprofit organization for those impacted by dysphagia. And with that, I'll turn it over here to Ed to introduce himself. Hi, I'm Ed. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, And Marie, uh, thank you for having us on your podcast today. Um, I am a head and neck cancer survivor, um, uh, diagnosed in 2005 and after two and a half years of very intense treatment, have had no evidence of disease for uh, 14 years now. Uh, My background uh, before cancer um, was in information technology and engineering. And um, we're really excited to be here today. Uh, uh, In addition to being president of E2 Scientific or Uh, I also wear the hat of being the president of the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, Uh, a role I was elected into a decade ago. So with that, I'll throw it back to you, Marie. Thank you both for those wonderful introductions. Something that 
I found so interesting about E2 Scientific and the Tungometer is this collaboration between a speech language pathologist and a person who has dysphagia. Tell me a little bit about how you two came to work together and collaborate on this project. Uh, uh, it, it's a short but interesting story. Um, <clears throat> in my role at the foundation, I was looking for a summer intern in 2014. And uh, Elizabeth, a dysphagia course uh, professor, um, submitted Elizabeth's resume. I, I liked it. Um, and um, that's really how our relationship began. She, uh, she has excelled in her role and is now um, the executive director of that foundation. Uh, so uh, our history goes back um, eight years now. And uh, we have uh, traveled together to DRS, to other conferences. Um, and other than that, uh, we live about 1,500 miles apart. So I only see her in person uh, a few times a year. For those of you that don't know, Ed is in Texas and Elizabeth is in Wisconsin. So they collaborate from afar. Um, that's really wonderful. You know, Elizabeth, it's clear that you have a passion for swallowing and swallowing disorders and patient advocacy and clinician enrichment. Was that your motivation for developing uh, a, a biofeedback device such as this? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yes, yeah, it was actually during one of our travels to a DRS conference when Ed and I first came up with the idea of creating the tongometer device. And we were at um, the conference where there were several talks about using biofeedback devices and treatment for swallowing disorders. Um, and Ed asked if I used any types of devices like this. And this was my first year, my first full-time job clinically um, at this brand new inpatient rehab center. Um, beautiful, but we didn't have the budget for a lot of tools and we didn't have very many supplies um, at that time. And so I said, you know, it'd be really great if we could have a, a tool that was affordable, both for clinicians, but also for patients to purchase too, so that when you send them home to do their exercises, they have something that's more meaningful than, you know, pressing your tongue against the roof of your mouth and how hard did you press this week? And, you know, they say, well, I think I pressed pretty hard. I don't know. Um, so that was the motivation for that. Um, and since then, Ed said, well, why don't we create one? And, you know, at the time I thought, oh, that's just a big idea. That's something that somebody says during a conversation like that. But Ed went back home and started putting together some prototypes. And since then we've had, well, I don't know how many different iterations of the tongueometer device before we came to market, um, but we had um, the first one worked on a computer. And then we went from there creating different versions of the tongueometer to get to where we are today. <laughs> And I think I would like to add to that. Uh, we had four um, major uh, uh, prototypes, but within those four, we probably had in total 
40 iterations. And uh, during that time, uh, we brought in both uh, patients and uh, providers to provide feedback along the way. And the feedback was invaluable to, to developing a tool uh, that is helping so many people right now. So um, Elizabeth and I did not do this in a vacuum. We really relied on the professionals and patients to help guide the development of the telemetry. Wow. It took people with a lot of persistence and dedication. And for those of us that are less entrepreneurial or tech-minded, to, to hear about all of the different levels that this had to go through um, is just fascinating. It must have taken a lot of really hard work. And how long did it take to get it from start to finish? Uh, well, the idea incubated in 2015. Um, it didn't come to market until 2019. Um, but that wasn't Elizabeth or my full-time attention. <laughs> um, that was maybe a, a half a day to a day a week during that period of time. Um, uh, and there was so much that goes in to bringing a medical device to market. Mm. And you not only developed a device, but also a companion app to go with that. So probably a lot of extra work there too. Yeah. So Bob, Elizabeth and I are kind of the face of the company. Uh, there's a whole team of people, uh, an engineer, a CPA, um, <clears throat> uh, app developers, um, and uh, an attorney, um, friends and family that were willing to take a little risk on us by making an investment. Um, so it's a whole team of people. Mm. Sure takes a village. Wow. Yeah, it does. It, it really does. Ed, when you were receiving your dysphagia rehabilitation, was there access to devices like this, biofeedback devices, things that were were helpful for carryover at home? Um, well, there, there were devices, but uh, um, they're not something that was part of my treatment plan, given the specific deficits I have in my swallowing. So let's talk a little bit about the device itself and the benefit to patients. Now, the, the website talks a lot about how this device improves accessibility and affordability for patients and clinicians who would like to offer biofeedback. Tell me a little bit about how this specific type of biofeedback for tongue strengthening is beneficial for dysphagia rehab. 
I can pick that one here, Ed. So the tongueometer device is designed to increase your tongue strength and tongue endurance. The way that it works is that there's an air-filled bulb that you place in your mouth. You push up against the roof of your mouth with your tongue, and then it pairs through Bluetooth to this app that shows you the visual biofeedback. Um, and two new enhancements that we have on the app, it also can show you or um, send tactile feedback. So if you're using a smartphone, um, the phone will vibrate when you hit a successful repetition. You can also turn on auditory feedback so it can ping. Um, so if you have users that might have visual impairments that are using a device like this, um, they can also get feedback in other ways as well. Uh, Sorry, you know, when they say you record a podcast, always make sure you're in a quiet space without your dogs around. My dog never joins me in the basement, but today he does. So excuse the click clack on the oh, tile. Welcome dog. <laughs> Hello, Mambo. <Yeah. laughs> the podcast. Um, but through the use of biofeedback, it really motivates patients. Um, that's what we've heard is that having something that's visual um, motivates them to do their home exercises. And our goal really was to have a device that they can use at home. We recognize that um, even at our reduced cost, it might not be affordable to everybody, but there's some clinics that are offering a, a rental system or loaning out the devices for home practice while they're doing their rehabilitation. So there's other ways to access the device besides patients purchasing them directly. That's wonderful. I like that there's flexibility for different types of environments where somebody might be working with their, with their swallowing rehab. That's fantastic. And I know that there is research on the challenges of adherence to swallowing exercises in the home. Um, and so this just really provides a wonderful opportunity in a way that is much more accessible. I also have the device and I have really appreciated the ease of use with setting it up and the, the really beautifully designed app. And I like the auditory feedback it gives. And, and it is quite a challenge, you know, even as a clinician, I always wonder, is this going to be hard enough? If I try it out, what's it like? And it, it is quite a, quite an exercise. Um, my tongue was quite tired after just one session of practice and it's, it's really wireless. I mean, there's a wire between the battery pack and the device, but it's really portable and it's, that's so important, I think for clinics with clinic space or clinicians that have to throw, you know, throw <laughs> place gently in their bag as they're, you know, visiting patients in their homes. And then I think for clinics to offer these sort of cutting edge technologies to patients to say, we really believe in you and we want to help and support you on the road to your dysphagia rehab. So I, that's just, it's very exciting. I think a lot of clinicians are excited about this. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, Marie, um, can I add something else here? Of course. Uh, um, there's been a number of research uh, studies comparing the telometer to what I consider the whole standard uh, before the telometer the IOP device. And uh, those studies have shown that uh, there is uh, the, the pressure readings from both devices have no statistical difference in uh, the main uh, exercise and assessment pieces um, 
uh, of one's use. Uh, uh, one recent study, uh, a professor had 21 students uh, uh, use uh, our device and the IOP device. Uh, that professor did not share with them the cost of either device. And the majority of the students found the telemeter to be a, a better device than our competitor. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate that. You know, very evidence-minded clinicians would be wondering what what do the consumers and what do the clients think about the device? What does the research show? So that's very promising and very exciting. It's interesting because as a clinician, you hear a lot about devices that sort of seem inaccessible or, you know, I heard a lot about the IOP when I was in school and I thought, wow, that seems like an interesting device, but I never saw it or got my hands on it. And similarly to what um, true angle and mobility are doing with surface electromyography. I think the tongometer puts that in the hands of clinicians more easily to give them that opportunity to try it and just to make it more of a realized option. I think one of the biggest questions we get is what are the differences between the two devices, right? Because everybody wants the best, understandably. Um, and so knowing what the differences are is important. One, obviously, is the cost, where our, our device currently is $339, and we want to be transparent about that. Um, in May, the cost will go up by um, $60, and the reason for that is because of the supply chain, which has caused increases um, in the cost of the internal components of our device, um, but also the difference between our device and other similar biofeedback lingual strengthening devices is our bulb. Um, it's the same size, similar size to the IOP device, but ours has little um, divots on it to add extra sensory feedback. Um, so great for somebody that has perhaps had a stroke who is looking for additional sensory feedback in the oral cavity to use a device like this, but also to help prevent um, slippage so that the bulb can stay in the same place in the tongue. Um, more easily. So those are the two reasons why we made a change to the bulb that way. Our tongometer device also has a lip guard where you thread the tubing of the bulb through that and then it maintains um, that location quite easily. So it, you probably noticed, Marie, when you set up your device that when you put the tubing through, it's pretty taut. You have to pull fairly hard mm -hmm. to get it in that right position. But the reason for that is so that it stays in that position um, so that you're placing the bulb in the mouth in the same place each time. Um, we've had some feedback that some users don't like placing the lip guard flush up with their lips that's fine you don't have to use it that way you certainly can keep the tubing extended um, longer so that you don't have to put your lips up against that but um, that's one of the reasons that we added that uh, some of the uh, other differences are uh, the biofeedback uh, there's a meter um, that shows uh, what your pressure is. And, <clears throat> and that meter uh, is different than our competitors uh, biofeedback process. Uh, data is captured on all four modules. That data is 
uh, available to share with violence provider <clears throat> and it produces a one-page dashboard report over time and i think the uh, one of the largest differences is our device is more than 80 percent less expensive than our competitors device uh, so that's not a 20 percent discount but an 80 percent discount making it much more available to the end consumer and that's so important. I mean, the, the cost is comparable to the cost of a standardized assessment instead of a large capital budget item. And I think that really makes it stand apart. Uh, um, uh, one of the questions we have is how is the device so affordable? <clears throat> uh, we understand how disruptive dysphagia is to one's life. And so not just the inability to eat, but the financial hardship uh, that is associated uh, with dysphagia. So uh, we used uh, rapid prototyping um, uh, and we drew on the power of uh, Apple and Android devices uh, to really be integrated with our device so we didn't have to build that into the cost. Uh, uh, we have an excellent team of people. Um, some of them have deferred compensation in exchange for a stake in the company. Um, and I think that's uh, it in that area. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing. That's mm -hmm. very impressive. And again, just increasing that accessibility is so important. And it's just a company that you can tell everyone's doing something that they know is important and very helpful. A lot of integrity there. We're hopeful that insurance will cover a device like this, our device. And we have filed um, an application with Medicare earlier this year. Um, so hopefully we'll hear back at some point soon. We've heard it's a timely process um, where perhaps insurance will cover a device like this. We're also working with a consumer who has um, requested reimbursement through his private health insurance. So we'll see what that brings about too. And certainly if there's a way to get reimbursement or to get device coverage for this, we'll let our community know how to go about that because I think that will certainly increase accessibility as well. That would be huge, especially Medicare. Similarly, mm -hmm. like to how Medicare will cover the EMST 75 or the Aura Stretch, to have another option like that would be fantastic for our Medicare users. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> Elizabeth, what do you hope that clinicians take away from our interview 
about the tongueometer? What do you think is the most important thing that they know about the device? I think it's important to advocate for your patient, whether or not they need to use the tongueometer as part of their rehabilitation, making sure that you're assessing your patient to understand what do they need out of their rehabilitation program, and then advocating that they have the right tools to do that. You know, certainly it won't always be the tongueometer device that they need, but what do they need? Um, Because they're relying on you to be that expert. Um, So make sure that whatever that patient needs, you're fighting for them, helping them access that, making sure that they understand what their options are, um, and then listening to what their wishes are. You know, maybe they don't want an intensive rehabilitation program. Maybe they're looking for something, um, you know, less invasive, less intensive, and understanding that. So, you know, that whole evidence-based triangle, making sure that you're taking into account you know, the patient perspective as well. I think one other thing I like to say when I'm talking with um, people, I'm sure there's some students that listen to this podcast. When I was a student, I remember my professor saying, you'll never get into the medical field in your location. You're going to have to move away um, to find a job that you want for your fellowship. And then you'll have to move again to get your job. Um, And then during my fellowship, I remember hearing, you'll never find a full-time medical position, take the first one you you get. Um, So I just want to tell students that there's a lot of opportunities and make opportunities for yourself. It's not a one track. You know, you sit down in grad school that first day, you raise your hand if you want to be a school SLP, you raise your hand if you want to be a medical SLP. There's a lot of different options. Um, so make the path that's right for you and don't necessarily feel that you won't be able to do something because somebody told you that one day. So mm-hmm. that's kind of <laughs> my soapbox that's for students wonderful. that are listening to this podcast. Elizabeth, you're a great example of paving your own way in our field and entrepreneurship and advocacy. So I appreciate that. And Ed, as somebody who can speak directly to the, you know, the patient-centered perspective as somebody with dysphagia, what do you think that patients or people with dysphagia would want to know about this device? <clears throat> um, I think it's important for patients to work with qualified speech language pathologists. Um, It's really a way for them to get the most out of the device. Um, But I would like to step back for a moment. Uh, I believe you said you had heard about the IOP while in school, but you had never really seen one and put your hands on it. Is that correct? That's right, Ed. So uh, we have um, over 900 devices on the market in the U.S. And there's a paradigm shift. Uh, you now have your own uh, tonometer, and that's probably a little thrilling uh, to you. Uh, the paradigm shift is now that you have one, um, encouraging your patients who would benefit from it to purchase their own because coming in to see you every week or two weeks or every month uh, doing an assessment, 
is nice, but the real benefit is in doing the exercises for an eight-week program or uh, uh, if you're um, want to maintain or even further improve to have that device on hand um, readily available. Absolutely. That's such a good point that in order to see the benefit, there has to be that practice outside of therapy. That's arguably the more important time spent exercising is all those other days that you're not working with the clinician. So getting the, you know, having access to trying it out and seeing the, seeing the benefit and getting that biofeedback, I think can be exciting for patients to know that there is something they could do on their own where they wouldn't need that therapist with them directly. And I, I love that that's an option. And especially with the option to start getting a contract with Medicare or patients submitting for reimbursement, getting that in the homes of patients is so important. Just going to add that if anybody's interested in learning more about the tongometer, um, they're welcome to reach out to us at info at E2 Scientific or through our website. And we'd be more than willing to set up a time to do a free in-service. Um, we offer a longer in-service that's about 45 minutes where we go through um, how to use the device and also the research behind lingual strengthening. And then we also do short demos because we know in the hospital and medical settings, there's not always a ton of time for clinicians to learn about new new tools so we can do a 15 minute quick demo on how to use the tongueometer device. Also, if you're working with patients and just want us to be there to help you set up the device the first time, if that's okay with your patient, we're happy to join them. We've also had patients call us from home, you know, they're working with their clinician, but they don't want to bother them during the week, but they can't get their device to work for some reason, or they have a question about um, the, the app. We're happy to answer that. So you're always welcome to give us, give them our contact information for that. We don't give any medical advice or treatment recommendations, but we're certainly happy to help troubleshoot um, the device or walk them through how to set things up. So Marie, thank you for having us on your podcast. We really enjoyed being here today. Um, and I just want to give you a shout out to Marie was on our, our local news recently. She was interviewed um, uh, about what aphasia is and the news about Bruce Willis. So kudos to you for raising awareness in our community here in Madison. Thank you. We all do our part with the advocacy piece and Ed and Elizabeth, thank you so much for your advocacy and everything you're doing with the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders and with the tongometer device. I've really appreciated hearing both your perspectives and learning a lot today. So thank you very much. Welcome back. Ooh, my voice cracked there. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode number 165. I'm Matt Hot, joined by three of my favorite SLPs in the world, Rachel, Michelle, and Marie. Hello. Hey. Hi. Michelle, I appreciated that you waved on a podcast. And <laughs> but no you one all can see me. And I also <laughs> verbalized, hey. So you got both. You got the visual for so you all. This and the verbal. Smile. This episode will be, we are recording this around the 12th, and it'll be going up sometime between the 16th and the 18th, which gives us about 10 or 12 days before Halloween or 14 days. Going back, and this is a question that I did not prepare any of you for. The 18th was, is my birthday, just so you know. Oh, happy birthday. Oh. Uh, when this drops, it's Michelle's birthday. Uh, looking back on all the Halloweens that you have ever participated in as a child or an adult, what was your favorite costume 
you ever did. And to give you a moment to think, I will say that mine favorite was I did a zombie union soldier. And I liked it because it was the first time I actually did my own makeup for my costume and I had to go to Goodwill and find all the pieces and I put it together. I was like eighth grade and I thought I was the coolest because I glued a real Civil War bullet to my forehead because <laughs> I was 13 and I thought that's what made the costume the best. But I've, got, I've got a couple. That's great, man. Pick one, Michelle. I know I'm doing one childhood and one adult. Okay. Mm. Um, in my childhood, just because it brings back fun memories, is I'm I'd have to ask my parents, but I'm pretty sure for three straight Halloweens, I insisted on wearing the same. It was a hand-me-down dinosaur costume. It was this ah, pink and red dinosaur that had the big tail okay. that like dragged behind me. <laughs> and it was heavy because they didn't make that light material they do now love for it. some of those costumes. So I wore my dinosaur costume multiple times. But as an adult, probably one of my favorites was with friends of mine. In Colorado, we did a group costume with rock, paper, scissors. Oh. And so I was paper, one was scissors, and I, I had like newspapers wrapped all around me. And uh, it was it was quite entertaining, mainly because if we were at this party, somebody would see one of us and they'd be like, oh, scissors, okay. And then they'd see somebody else and they're like, wait a second, is she? And it's rock across her hat, right? And she's dressed in this big gray sweatshirt thing. And um, and then they would see the paper and be like, wait a second, you're all together. Got it. I like Very that. That's so creative. Yeah, I love those. Aww. Marie, Rachel, favorite Halloween costume? All right, my favorite childhood one, um, I was Queen Amidala when the first Star Wars movie reboot came out in like 98, I would say. Um, I love that costume. It's one of my favorite pictures. Um, And then as an adult, it's a really hard toss up between Ginny Weasley. I go as almost every year because (laughs) I look exactly like her and I've reused that costume, I think, 10 times now. I do. Um, You're always going to think of that. It's 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 on my dating profiles like I've got a side by side screenshot Um, and my the most recent one um, when I you guys met me when I had very red hair, especially you, Matt. Mm -hmm. Um, So since I've had red hair, um, I was Kim Possible and I did a side by side of that Yes, was the best reactions from people that were like, that is incredible. And it was so easy to do. So that was it's a toss up between those two. Reach me. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's so true with the red hair. Mm-hmm. If we're doing adult costumes, Marie, before I jump to you, a girl that I had was seeing in college in theater, uh, she dressed up as an old man and I dressed up as an old woman and we went <laughs> around uh, and I gave out Worthington's or Werther's oh, hard yeah. candy oh, good. to people from my handbag. <laughs> that's very Underrated cute. candy. Very cute. Right. I was just handing out camels. Just handing them out. <laughs> What about Marie? you, Marie? Now well, you speaking give of a couples costumes. Oh, child. Okay. Well, see, my child ones are boring. Um, I, well, one year I was a hideous clown, but I didn't <laughs> choose that one. But my favorite one from childhood was when I was um, uh, Jasmine from yep. Aladdin, one of my favorite Disney movies. Um, but my adult one is a couple's costume. A few years ago, my husband and I went as Meatloaf and Ellen Foley from the Paradise by the Dashboard Light music video. Oh my God, Marie. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, 
it was great. And we, we had some, we had some karaoke and we definitely sang it. It was great. That's, That's great. awesome. Mm-hmm. We want to know yours. Is anyone going as a trachea or an epiglottis or a tongueometer? I don't, I don't know. What are they going as? Ooh. We want to know your speech therapy costumes. Only if you're doing, I mean, I'm assuming those work best in a work party setting or, you know, the you imagine when you work you're just like a full size larynx, just handing out candy. And people are like, we don't, we don't want to go to that house. That guy's a weirdo. And you're like, I'm a larynx. You know, what's uh, a really good speech therapy costume. Go oh, ahead. please go ahead. Um, going as the grandfather from the grandfather passage. Oh, the long <laughs> frock coat. That's great. Yelling yeah. banana oil to everybody. With his pipe. Have you, have yeah. you done this or seen someone banana do this? Oil. I saw someone do it when I was an undergrad and I was very impressed. I love it. That's I think great. I know what I'm going to do this year during the school day because none of my kids will have any idea. They'll just yes. think you're dressed as a grandpa, which is fine. Right. But there are like three SLPs in my building and they may get it. And that might be enough for me. At least if you tell them this is speech related. <laughs> Just say banana oil. This is my banana job, oil, everybody. Yes. Yeah. But um, in college, I worked at the writing center, like where people would come mm-hmm. in and ask for help with writing or whatever assignments or things they're working on and it was called the right place get it uh-huh. oh, i like it uh-huh. clever Great fun. um but anyways we had a right place christmas party and we had to dress as something english or right place related mm-hmm. so we had all sorts of like word plays and things that's and great it was it was fun thinking of super embarrassing photos would someone like to describe what that looks like that is my staff photo for this year oh my gosh it was Hawaiian themed. Is that hat Hawaiian? No. No, but it's <laughs> island. <laughs> that was the hat they had that fit it's, my head, y'all. You're, you're making adjacent. fun of me for waving on a podcast and you're showing photos of yourself. Hey, I, that, that photo will never see the light of day except on my ID badge, outside my door, <laughs> uh, in the yearbook, and email to all the ki- parents of so kids I see. So it is very Aww. public. And oh, shown to us. Um, and shown yeah. to you. Can you post pictures on Discord? Because I'll post my yes, uh, my I'll, Halloween I'll pictures it. on there. We should get like a thread Ooh, of SLP oh, yeah. related pictures. That would I be love cool. It. I'll find my rock, paper, scissors one. That's I awesome. did have a year so not funny. that not that long ago. Um, I say not that long ago. In the last decade of my life, <laughs> it feels like things are merging. <laughs> um, where my now husband and I, we were dating at the time, um, dressed as Mary Poppins and uh Her. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, the chimney sweep. And um and we sent the picture to my family in Ohio and my brother replies and his wife reply in the same costume. We nice. did not communicate at oh all. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> we had not talked about what people were wearing for Halloween. And so we just put things up side by side that said who wore it best. Like that's oh, pretty man. impressive Gosh. considering Mary Poppins probably came out 50 years before. I know. I'm like, this seems know. very specific. <laughs> of all the couples' costumes, that's amazing. Yep. So Halloween is a celebration of all the things that are spooky and scary on the end of the year, spooky and scary. It is a reminder that uh, the new certification period for your ASHA C's starts in January. And this leads us into a perfect segue where we get to discuss things that ASHA does right, ASHA does wrong, and we like to call it. What up with Asha? What up Asha? What up Asha? And Rachel, 
you gave us this one this week. What is up with Asha? So I saw on one of the speech Facebook groups, and I honestly thought it was a fever dream from from jet lag. And I was like, did I actually see something about this? Um, but professional development requirements have been changed effective January 1st, 2023. So you know how we've had to do an ethics one mm -hmm. for the past like two years or so? Well, yep. they just added two more mandatory hours under DEI, cultural competency, cultural humility, culturally responsive practice, or diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's that DEI. Um, so I, I think that's a, a great move. I think we definitely need to hold others in our profession accountable for, you know, they might not have ever had this training. And I know in out, outside of SLP fields. I know um, more corporate fields have a ton of training in DEI, much more than two hours. So I think it's the absolute bare minimum that we could do, mm -hmm. but I'm glad that it is a um, mandatory requirement. And just as a heads up, it is not for the one that expires here in a two and a half month time frame. It is for the next uh, reporting period. Uh, 2023 to 2025. Mm-hmm. So we've got some time. Okay, yeah. Mine starts this coming 2023. So after yeah. we knew this December, my three-year cycle. Did, I've gotten ASHA, um, I've gotten an ACE award before because I've gotten so many stupid CEUs. But I'm excited for this because I feel like a lot of times when we're looking at our CEUs, they're just what is it that I can find that fills 30 hours of time or in Ohio, we need 10 hours every year or 20 hours every two years, whatever that is. Like, I don't really pay attention sometimes to what I'm trying to do. I'm just looking for something that fills, see mm -hmm. a need, fill the need. And, and I'm glad on one hand, I'm glad that there are these requirements that two of the hours have to be ethics and one of the hours has to be supervisory and two of these hours are now going to be in the uh, DEI realm. I just, I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of it, but also I wonder if it's going to become like the rest of the CEUs where right now everyone's going to be like, yeah, this is great. I need to learn it. And then in three years for the next cycle, it's just going to be somebody giving a presentation at some state conference and they're going to say, yep, this counts as our DEI. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be like when I sit through my ethics course for the third time in a row and I'm like, yep, I don't yeah. really need to pay attention to this now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to bring everyone down. That was the most sad. <laughs> yeah. I've ever yeah. heard. I'm so sorry. I think it's because we like, all relate mm, to that. We, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a positive step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it is annoying to have to mandate a, a certain amount of our requirements, but you could always go above that. I do find that sometimes I go to these conferences, I go to Flasha every summer, and there are people that are so proficient, I'll give like pragmatics. And the only sessions they go to are about pragmatics. And it's like they work in the schools or something. They just really enjoy the topic. And I'm like, are you mm -hmm. like, I understand the want because I would love to do that with trauma informed. But at the same time, they're, the whole point of CEUs is to bring up the parts that you are not proficient in or that mm -hmm. you need to learn True. more about. So that's 
the reason why DEI ethics supervision is all brought up because or made mandatory because we need to do it. But I do understand what you're saying about the ethics ones that I at Flash Show, you know, we do that and people are zoning out and oh, we've done this every single year. Um, but I think also this is look a at how many step. times on Facebook we see Susie Q, the SLP, make some inflammatory statement about the kids they work with or the adult patients or the families. And it is not culturally sensitive mm -hmm. at all. So, yeah. I think mm -hmm. it's very, very much needed. Um, and I, I wish people thought about more critically. I, I understand it's a lot, like, especially that we have to pay for many of our CEUs. Um, it's hard to find ones that are free. Um, but we really should be doing professional development in areas that we are not up to date on instead of the ones that we are more knowledgeable and I think we need a mix though you know yeah like, I mean, yeah definitely yeah, yeah. Like I, it's the plight of the SLP generalist yeah because mm -hmm. I I want to deep dive into certain things but mm -hmm. I also know that I, I need to broaden my scope some too especially I feel that way especially having worked in many different settings that sometimes I feel like I am just the generalist that I haven't gotten to deep dive into you know a real specialty so Maybe mm -hmm. I'm just a little jealous of some of the people who get to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure people who already value the these components of our field, like the DEI and the ethics, are probably already doing the work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having it mandated is great because at least peripherally, even if it's something that other people don't value, it still has to be done. So at least there's some exposure. And then eventually that just becomes the norm. So it's just hopefully a catalyst for change, but I really do think that they should be offered for free. Um, that's just my little soapbox. I think they should be more, more financially accessible than just saying, go off and figure it out yourself. They should be vetted too, but uh -huh. digress. Yeah. You're asking for too much, Marie. I know. <laughs> I just take oh. and take. <laughs> <laughs> every, every week we'll be doing this. The what up uh with asha marie you just said something in chat did you want to talk about it oh yes well if not I we can hold it till the next episode which will either well, be it's... in a week three weeks or six months depending on <laughs> our availability due it's... to illness international travel or it's directly uh, related to this episode yes. so i think oh, I what will. we were just talking about. i have yep. a breaking news sounder if you want me to play it oh please yes oh let me pull this up you gotta have that on. <laughs> By the time he brings it up, it's not gonna be breaking ew, anymore. Ew, ew. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marie, what is the breaking news? It's just in. Oh, I lost it already. <laughs> Wait. Wait. Oh, this just in. Somebody on Reddit, a clinical fellow, just started their job in the schools, and it's a terrible fit for them. It doesn't work. They're not having a good time. They feel like it's a bad fit. So they're leaving and they are posting on Reddit because they don't know what to do. Is it okay that they're leaving? Are they in the wrong? They're being guilted by their employer. And it's a sad situation. Ah! But... Oh, I'm curious what state they're in and what the requirements yeah. are for that license. Cause the CF, you know, licensure is a temporary thing. Um, 
but I would say leave if you need to leave because you can always do your CFY in a different setting and go back into the schools. And that's what everyone is saying. And I was going to give opposite advice because I'm a contrarian and this is kind of my, my thought, like, and I, and I'm not saying this just to say this, mm -hmm. but like sometimes if it's just in like, now I don't know what the exact issue is of why she wants to leave or they want to leave, but unless it is giant red flags of either abuse or emotional or physical or, uh, or psychological illegal abuse things going or on. I mean, things. like there are many reasons that somebody might need to leave a job. Get, right. Right. And if it's not like one of those and it's just, let's just like a sucky school district with low pay, just get through your CFY here, just get through it. But what about they being mm -hmm. supported? Like, what about ninety plus caseload? Yeah, that like I think I mean, that's I left so the school subjective. For that, Unfortunately, but that is not uncommon. Yeah, really? I mean, I was gonna say like in Indiana there is no caseload cap. And There's not in Florida. Keep tabs on ninety people. I'm really struggling here to so understand. So I, when I left my last school district, I had I started the year with 113. And I ended the year in 92. And those of you listening in Ohio go, that can't be because we have a cap load of 80, which oh, you get waivers is, for that. It, yeah, you get a waiver for that. And um, it's hard. You don't have any free time. I had no free bells. Um, free bells, like periods? Yeah, free periods for, you know, planning, like I was supposed to mm -hmm. in my contract. I had a 15 minute working lunch. I mean, it right. sucks. So if and your I got contract, if your contract is being violated, then why can't they get out of their contract? Like that's, that's what perpetuates this, like these issues that SLPs face yeah. because mm -hmm. one, one SLP will do it and sit there. And then they're like, what, what's with these SLPs not wanting to take on a caseload of 90? Like the last guy did it. So I, I'm, I'm more on the side of quit, but I understand yeah. that state-wise, city-wise, there might be different issues. Um, and definitely when I comment now, I'll be a bit more careful um, to say, like, you can't just leave um, because apparently some states will hold your yeah. license. Um, yeah. But if I hear Florida, I'm like, get out. <laughs> your, like, school, your school license, to yeah. clarify. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're in a position to take a stand like that, mm -hmm. to not perpetuate these problems, and you want to do that, I, I really support that. But also recognizing that not everyone's in that position, that SLP that stays and accepts it, maybe that's their only option. But hopefully enough of us are taking a stand. And Well, I know when, when I had my, my 100 something down to 90, the union said, hey, the school said they can't really do anything. And if I would have left, then I would have lost insurance. I would have been out of a school district for up to a year. I mean, mm. it was easier to then use that time frame to just get bare minimum therapy done so that kids are meeting their minutes and then be applying and going to interviews for better jobs. And then mm. quitting at the end of the school year because I needed my license and, and, I mean, maybe that's where I adopted my, I need my license to have a roof over my head. I don't need mm -hmm. this job. So. Yeah. 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 And that's what, I mean, it's an individual thing that you have to weigh mm -hmm. your family situation, your financial mm -hmm. situation. And, and then also what, as much as you can, your mental and physical well-being, um, at least creating an exit strategy. And for you, Matt, that was at the end of the year for mm -hmm. various yeah. reasons. Um, 
Mainly because I think when I asked in December, they said they couldn't let me out. Yeah. But then also, I feel like if this person is that early in their CF, like get out now. I mean, we're already one quarter of the way in. You know what I mean? But like a CF doesn't have to even be a full calendar year. Like you, you may be just fine, even restarting almost your CF in a whole nother place. I Um, switched my CF. There you go. Look at that. You can do it too. It's tough, man. Mm-hmm. It's tough, but uh, there's just a lot of individual factors to take in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true, Michelle. Mm-hmm. So the moral of the story is don't take crappy caseloads because mm. you may not be able to get out midway through if unless you live in Florida. Wow. And you can say that. We can try to preempt it. Well, I mean, you can Sometimes also they just get thrown lawyer, at you. But mm-hmm. yeah, you can also do a lot of things. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, I don't know. This is where... Mm, I have a whole lot of opinions because working in Ohio, we're a union education mm. contract state. Mm-hmm. So depending on the union, like the one you, the one school I worked for, the first school I worked for, the union was so strong that as soon as the end of the contract day happened, we would be in a meeting and the union leader from the building would stand up, talk over who was ever talking and say, our contract is up we're leaving now and everyone would stand up and it didn't matter if the conversation was like, Hey, let's recognize someone for their 90 years of service, or here's what the new testing information would be. Three quarters of the room would get up and walk out. And then where I had the 90 kids, the union was so weak that they obviously didn't care or wanted to do anything. So, well, I know one thing we didn't touch on, uh, where multiple school districts, districts, including one in a big one in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, um, on the teachers, uh-huh. including speech pathologists who are on the state educational license, right? Yep. Um, weren't in school for a week. Yes, but let's talk about what they, they were striking strike. over. Do you yeah, know what mm-hmm. they were striking over? Do you give me more details? I'm sure you know more than uh, me. They wanted, look at, listen to these unreasonable demands that these self-entitled SLPs and teachers in Ohio wanted. They wanted working heat in -hmm. their buildings. They wanted working air conditioners. They wanted electrical outlets that didn't leak water during rainstorms. I mean, the audacity of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, They wanted the asbestos not to be exposed. I just, I am so appalled that they were also mad that some of their drinking fountains were unusable because it was unsafe water. I just, <laughs> why would they want that? Jeez. Like literally Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was right. just thinking that Michelle, like how can any of these more like higher level needs get met when that is still on the table? But mm-hmm. the board office put in something like 5,000, like five, pods that cost five thousand dollars each that are like massage quiet pods for all the board members to go in and meditate what yeah right the, oh my gosh so huh <laughs> hey guys Shocking. we just made it through episode 165 season seven wow we've been on air for seven years my oldest is nine all <laughs> he knows is this show hey that's all my children know i joined episode. you on here, Matt, when I was pregnant with my oldest. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, he told me he needs another memories. speech science shirt because I told him today when I put him to bed I was going to record the podcast. Oh. And he's Aww. like, well, what's that? And I'm like, remember your shirt? It's when mom, mommy does the podcast, I hop on the computer and record with people. And, and he was like, yeah, but that doesn't fit me anymore. Our baby sister wears that. And I was Aww. like, <laughs> and I was Marie, like Rachel, this is your year two. One. Year two. Wow. I think our last, our last episode feels about seven years ago. So. I know. <laughs> Listen, like oh. we, we have joked about it on air, but like the one time in like july we had planned on doing it i took melatonin and was like i can't rehost and then what? like people were going out of town and then people were sick like hey i'm still listening to shows <laughs> your your message i'm still listening to about, back i'm listening to back melatonin episodes of was other podcasts. <laughs> we're back we're yeah, here we're here we're excited hey what are you guys looking forward to in the next seven to 10 days, not therapy related. I've got one. Oh, okay, go for it first, Michelle. Usually we all hide from this one, Matt, so I'm gonna jump in. Um, My best friend from Colorado is coming to visit. She gets in tomorrow and she will be here through my birthday and we are taking a little trip to the Texas beaches. Wonderful. With the kids, of course, but. Uh. (laughs) That's awesome. No, it'll be great, it'll be fun. Very nice. Love it. Marie, what are you looking forward to? Well, wait, I got to check the calendar. Uh-oh. Uh, I am looking forward to sitting at home in my apartment, doing nothing, not talking to anyone, recharging mm. my social battery, um, and possibly a Halloween party. <laughs> uh, living the dream. Yeah. What's the costume? I'm Jenny Weasley. Okay. Just Again? A classic. Yeah, it's it's a toss up. Might be Kim Possible. I do have um like the red root spray that oh, I used yeah. to have. You could make it. So I could just do my hair, but I haven't straightened it since January first. I've been doing curly hair for the past year, so mm. I'm gonna try to make it until January first of Love it. straightening my hair. Mm. Yeah. Marie? Well, I had to check my calendar because October is moving so fast. I couldn't figure mm-hmm. out what next week was, True. but next week is my husband's birthday. So Aww. I'm looking forward to that. When's and his he, birthday? So his is the 20th. Nice. Two Good week to be born. Yeah. And he, this year for his birthday, he wants donations to charity made in his name. Aww. Like a true altruist. I know. I love that. Yeah. Does he also He's- want anything else? No. If no? I had got him something, he would be offended. So I'm going to be very careful. <laughs> oh, and Matt, oh, happy it. birthday almost to your son who was born oh, yeah. on my birthday. I was going to say that's what, one of the things I'm looking forward to is Andy turns six mm-hmm. uh, for this. And it's not therapy related, so I'm not cheating uh, because I am playing host. But uh, on SpeechTherapyPD.com on October 23rd, I am playing host for the Cultural and Linguistic Diverse Students uh, CEU event. So I'll be cool. uh, playing host uh, there because I did that also over the summer. So our friends over at speechtherapypd.com uh, have some reason thought I could talk on a microphone for an hour at a time. How do people listen to this, Matt? If they, want uh, to? they have to go to speechtherapypd.com and sign up. There you go. So I'm excited for that. Would hey. that meet the um, ASHA new requirement? You know, that should actually be an answer I should have. So I will send an email to uh, to the team over there and find out. I actually don't know. Let us know. Huh. 
Well, I'm a bad salesman on that one. Our intro music was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar, licensed under an attribution and share alike license. The bump music was created by John Deku. Find his music at uh, soundcloud.com slash music. That was called County Fair Rock. The informed SLP used at the count by Broke for free. And our closing music is the Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod, both licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, the oak looks strong, but the willow will not break. And for fellow willows, Marie, Michelle, Rachel, I'm Matt. Until next week or the next time, thank you for letting us into your car for seven years or into your earbuds for seven years. Uh, hope to do it for another seven. So long, everybody. Bye. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.